you're able to remain standing for a bit longer, please do so. Take your Bibles and turn to Exodus chapter 6, page 49, if you're using a Bible from the church. Thank you guys for leading us this morning as we have the privilege of singing to the Lord. I want to take a note and just highlight um, uh, Lisa, who was at the piano just now. Lisa and Tim have retired from Child Evangelism Fellowship, from their uh, vocation, their ministry, and they're, be, they're moving back home after some 30 years to Indiana. So they're once again be, going to become a couple of Hoosiers, but, uh, which they're from Indiana. They think that's a good thing. <laughs> but, um, but anyway, we appreciate Tim and Lisa, and so uh, uh, you see them this morning here. Soon you won't see them for a while. So but we pray God's blessings upon them. Along that same line, John and Connie Kaiser, they've retired, and we'll see them some. They're going to be traveling some, so they're going to be in and out, and they'll be back this way some and then back out again. So uh, here next month, they're heading toward Florida, and so we'll miss them for a while as well. But Exodus chapter 6, this morning I want to begin reading at verse 28, so at the very tail end of chapter 6. And then read down through verse 13 of chapter 7. This is God's word for us this morning. And here's what God says. On the day when the Lord spoke to Moses in the land of Egypt, the Lord said to Moses, I am the Lord. Tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, all that I say to you. But Moses said to the Lord, Behold, I am of uncircumcised lips. How will Pharaoh listen to me? And the Lord said to Moses, See, I have made you like God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron shall be your prophet. You shall speak all that I command you. And your brother Aaron shall tell Pharaoh to let the people of Israel go out of this land. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart. And though I multiply my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt, Pharaoh will not listen to you. Then I will bring my hand on Egypt and bring my hosts, my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great acts of judgment. The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring out the people of Israel from among them. Moses and Aaron did so. They did just as the Lord commanded. Now Moses was 80 years old and Aaron 83 years old when they spoke to Pharaoh. Then the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, When Pharaoh says to you, Prove yourselves by working a miracle, then you shall say to Aaron, Take your staff and cast it down before Pharaoh, and it will become a serpent. So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and did just as the Lord commanded. Aaron cast down his staff before Pharaoh and his servants and it became a serpent. Then Pharaoh summoned the wise men 
uh, and the magicians of Egypt also did the same by their secret arts. For each man cast down his staff, and they became serpents. But Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs. Still, Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he would not listen to them as the Lord said. You may be seated. Father, thank you for your word. There's no word like your word. It's a treasure to us, and our desire is that you would show us from your word wonderful things about yourself, that you would teach us in these moments together. Be near to us by your spirit. Be working in our midst and in our hearts, for we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Moses has went to Pharaoh, and Pharaoh did not listen. Moses is struggling. He's hesitant to go back, but the Lord is going to send him back. And what we're going to learn this morning from this portion of God's Word is that Moses and Aaron are messengers of the Lord's work of redemption. And the Lord is, is specifying, is giving instructions uh, to Moses as to how things are going to begin to play out. Things are going to get kicked up a whole other notch here shortly. And there's two things that the Lord is going to give instructions to, to Moses concerning the work of being the Lord's messenger. First of all, these two things are seeing something of the significance uh, in conducting the work of God. Moses is being sent as a messenger to conduct the work of God. So something of the significance for Moses in conducting the work of God. But secondly, and this is going to be seen primarily in verses 8 through 13 of chapter 7, the seriousness of combating or contesting the work of God. Well, first thing, the significance in conducting the work of God. These are God's instructions to Moses beginning at verse 28 and spilling down over into verse 7 of chapter 7. The first visit did not go well. Pharaoh did not listen to what Moses had said. And now Moses has no confidence to go back to Pharaoh. Did you catch that? He says in verse 30 what he also said in uh, verse um, 12 of chapter 6, which is a lot like what he said to begin with way back in chapter 4. But, but in verse 30, he said, But Moses said to the Lord, Behold, I am of uncircumcised lips. How will Pharaoh listen to me? And before the genealogical account in chapter 6, he said back in verse 12 of chapter 6, How then will... Um, behold, um, the people of Israel have not listened to me. How then shall Pharaoh listen to me? For I am on uncircumcised lips. From the get-go, Moses has had no confidence in his ability to convince either Israel or to convince Pharaoh to let the people of Israel go. How much more does he feel this lacking of confidence since he's already went once and that was a belly flop. That didn't go too well either. 
Moses is unsure of himself. He is very self-aware of his limitations. That's a good place to be before the Lord. Now, that doesn't sound right to us. Our culture highly values self-confidence. We, we, wanna, we want our kid, kids to have great self-confidence because that's the key to their success, our culture tells us. Our scriptures highly value reliance upon the Lord. Can the Lord use someone? Can the Lord use people like you and me uh, who lack confidence? Well, how did it work out for Moses? I mean... uh, Our scriptures paint a view of reality that is pretty much upside down or or right side up, actually, from from what we would just normally grab a hold of from our broader culture. The the key to moving forward in life is is not us whooping ourselves up with some measure of self-confidence. The significant thing in life, as we see here in this passage, is not self-confidence, but Obedience to the Lord. Look at verse 2 of chapter 7. You shall speak all that I command you. You and your brother Aaron shall uh, tell Pharaoh to let my people go out of his hand. Or back up to verse 29 in chapter 6. The Lord said to Moses, I am the Lord. Tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, all that I say to you. Do do, do you see what Moses is is rehashing the the same issue that that ever since the Lord met him in the burning bush, uh, of his reluctance, of his lack of confidence, and his lack of ability in and of himself to do what God has asked him to do. And the Lord has been and will be incredibly patient with Pharaoh, as he is with us, and yet the Lord is insistent that he shall be obeyed. Once again, we're at odds with our culture if we buy into the, what's being specified here. Our, our culture would have us question the legitimacy of the Lord's right to say that He should be obeyed. It, the easiest way to explain why our culture is so crazy and messed up as it is, is our culture has as its core uh, affirmation something along this line. I am my own and I belong to me. In other words, then, how, how do you explain uh, that, that um, I could say something like, um, I am a woman trapped in a man's body. And that's not me saying that. I'm not saying that. But, but, but yeah. 
don't, don't think things things out of context. But I mean, that, that that absolutely makes no sense whatsoever, unless unless there's a, a more core narrative that defines reality for me, and that is, I am my own, and, and and I belong to me. And so, if I am my own and I belong to me, and I say I'm a woman, then I'm a woman. Because I am my own and I belong to me. And then, and then God thinks he can just kind of butt into my life and, uh, and, 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 and give us a, a, a structure of reality and give directions for my life. And it's like, huh? Look, don't you know, God? I am my own and I belong to me. Our scriptures, however, affirm the Lord's legitimacy to provide the structure of life that He provides and to provide the directions for life that He provides because the Lord happens to think that we are not our own and that we belong to ourselves. The Lord believes, the Scriptures teach us, that we are not our own, that we belong to the Lord. And, it's, and, it's, and I say this and point it out just not so that we could gather here this morning and pick on somebody that is struggling with issues of gender confusion. No, I say that this morning to say that that's what explains that issue. But, but if you think that you are, are impervious to that sort of subtle uh, deception, then, then you are deluded. We, we, that's the air we breathe. We breathe in the air of a culture that says to each of us, you are your own and you belong to you. And we don't understand how pervasive that mindset even infiltrates our own mindsets, our own hearts, and our own perspectives on how to move forward in our lives. In fact, it would be a wonderful um, uh, uh, pattern of repetition uh, to wake up every day and throughout the day just remind yourself, catechize yourself to say, I am not my own. I belong to the Lord. Over 500 years ago, there was a, a famous uh, catechism called the Heidelberg Catechism um, that um, the very first question is so uh, beautiful and priceless. And it starts like this, the, qu- the answer to the question. The, que- the question is, what is my only comfort in life and in death? The answer begins like this, that I am not my own. I want you to see that there is no more beautiful reality to life than that. To be able to say, I am not my own. The catechism goes on to say, but I belong, body and soul, in life and in death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. It goes on to write, He has fully paid for all my sins with His precious blood and has set me free from the tyranny of the devil. It goes on to say, he watches over me in such a way that not a hair can fall from my head without the will of my Father in heaven. In fact, it goes on to say, all things must work together for my salvation. It goes on to say, because I belong to him, Christ, by his Holy Spirit, assures me of eternal life and makes me whole heartedly willing and ready from now on to live for him. So what right does God have 
to tell Moses what to do. What right does God have to tell any of us what to do? Do you belong to Jesus? If you belong to Jesus, then you are not your own. You have been bought with a price. And this day, this week, the marching orders that is over us is that we exist to glorify and honor God. And so when God says, do all that I say to do, then you and I ought to instantly have hearts by the very resonating presence of the Spirit that say yes. See, the key for Moses is not him having self-confidence. The key for Moses, the key for you and I, is not some measure of self-confidence, contrary to what our culture says. The key to our lives is how inclined are we to listen to what God says, and how inclined are we to do what God says. Now, let me clarify a couple of things about this matter of obedience. First, this is huge. First, our salvation. That is, our right relationship with God. Our ability to pursue obedience before God is not rooted and grounded in ourselves. It is rooted and grounded in the obedience of the Lord Jesus Christ who has a fully rendered, perfectly executed life of obedience. And that life of perfect obedience, the one who has truly, perfectly, flawlessly done all that God has told him to do, that qualifies him to be the perfect sacrifice, the perfect substitute to take upon himself our sin, our failure of obedience, our disobediences, and the curses and the condemnation of our disobediences, and bear up under those at the cross thereby providing us forgiveness, thereby providing us forgiveness where we have not fully obeyed, thereby also providing us the very enablement of the Spirit that we would begin to learn to obey Him. But we begin by saying, okay, I'm going to try harder. I'm going to be more obedient this week. We begin by seeing the full perfect obedience of Jesus. Jesus did all that his father told him to do. Just a cursory reading of the gospel of John in in chapter 5, he says, Jesus says, I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. In John chapter 8, he says, "Um, I do nothing of my own authority, but speak just as my Father has taught me. Or in John uh, fourteen ten, he says, the words that I say to you, I, I do not speak of my own authority, but my Father who dwells in me uh, uh, does his works. Or in uh, John four thirty four, my food, Jesus says, is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. No, we begin by relying upon Jesus. We trust in Jesus. We trust in Jesus for the forgiveness that we need so that we could live in right relationship with God. We trust Jesus for the gift of the Spirit that, and the new heart that changes our lives 
so that we now have a different posture concerning obedience. Second thing I want to say before moving on about this obedience. Remember, his instructions to, to Moses is when you go to Pharaoh, listen here, watch here. You just do everything I've told you to do. You just say everything I've told you to say. And then he's, he basically then says, and it won't do a lick of good. <laughs> and, it was, and Pharaoh still ain't going to listen to you. And, and that, ain't your, that ain't your deal. I, 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 I'm in control of this. He won't listen to you because his heart is hardened. He won't listen to you because I have hardened his heart. But listen here, Moses. You do what I've told you to do. You focus upon obedience to me. And the thing I want to point out, and I'm going to try to navigate this without confusing myself or you guys as well, so hang with me, but obedience to the Lord is not first and foremost for utilitarian reasons. Obedience to the Lord is for the purpose of giving glory to God. Now, having said that, I want you to understand a sidebar over here. I want you to understand um, that, that it is true that there is incredibly much practical value in obeying the Lord. Life works out better, more often than not, when we obey the Lord. And yet, that's not always the case. The Lord's commands are not designed to ruin our lives. The Lord's instructions and the Lord's commands are designed for our good. It's just an extension of his loving, caring nature. He he can't help but issue commands that, that flow out of his own being that are for the good of his creatures. There is much practical benefit in in seeking what the Lord says and doing what the Lord says. There is much practical benefit in saying, Lord, help, I'm a parent. I don't know how to parent. Show me from your word how to parent. And there is much practical value in seeking wisdom and instruction from the Lord in his word on how to be a parent. You say, but Lord, I'm married. You you won't believe this guy that I'm married to. Lord, help me. I, I need your word. There is much practical value from God's words, much wisdom and instructions for, that, that, are, that is meant for our good and for our practical value. In other words, every aspect of our life, every nook and cranny of the, of the, of the direction of our life, if we follow the Lord's instructions, there is, there is good to come to that. There is, there is practical benefit. To, and, and yet, and yet, our obedience to the Lord is not motivated by pragmatism. Our obedience to the Lord should be motivated by honoring Him and glorifying Him. And that's huge because I don't know what kind of inside conversations you have in your own heart and mind, 
But sometimes we, we, we feel just flattened and discouraged and we say, what difference does it make to obey the Lord? I mean, what difference does it make if I seek his word on how to be a better parent? And it turns out uh, that I've, I've raised a knucklehead. And, uh, and, and, and so I've, I've, I've done what I could do and, and, and there's still no surefire guarantees that, that things are going to turn out as I hoped they would. And so why obey the Lord if it's not going to turn out good? Why obey the Lord when it's not going to turn out good? Because the Lord is deserving of our obedience to Him. Why follow the Lord's instructions on how to be a spouse when, you know what, you're married to a knucklehead? Uh, and, 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 of course, I'm using knucklehead in, in, a, in a gender-neutral way. I could, your knucklehead could be a male or a female, so I'm just, I'm just saying. So, uh, anyway, I don't want to, the guys feel like I picked on them this morning. So, but um, why, why, why do what the Lord says when my spouse obviously isn't doing what the Lord says? Why do what the Lord says? Because this is not about just pragmatism. This is about doing what the Lord says. This is about you doing what the Lord says. But what about everybody else ain't doing what the This is about you doing what the Lord says. Just place yourself in Moses' shoes for a moment. I'm supposed to be careful to do all that you say, and it still ain't going to have the desired outcome? Nope. So you just do what I say. Again, does the Lord have the right to talk to me that way? I am my own. I belong to me. Uh Uh-uh. I am not my own. I do not belong to me. That is, if you name the name of Jesus. The other thing I want to touch on just briefly, this is going to take a shorter amount of time because it's really a preview of what's going to happen in the remainder of chapter 7 all the way through to chapter uh, 10. So next week, Lord willing, we are going to uh, fly through nine plagues. And believe me, it'll feel like nine plagues when I'm done with you. But, but anyway, uh, but the second point I want to make for this morning before we get to the plagues is the seriousness of contesting or combating the work of God. The Lord goes on explaining some things to Moses. Now, again, he said, now, when you go to, Mo- when you go to Pharaoh, I want you to, do, I want you to say everything that I say to, say to you to say to him. And, and then in verse 9, uh, verse 8, rather, of chapter 7, then the Lord says to Moses, now, was he scripting this thing out for Moses again? Now, when you get there and you say everything I tell you to say, I tell you right now what, Moses, what Pharaoh going to say. He's going to say, look at verse 9, prove yourselves by working a miracle. The Lord is saying to Moses, when you get there, um, the uh, resistance to hear me and to hear you is not going to let up. And in fact, Pharaoh's going to double down on his resistance. He will remain combative against the plans of God. In, in fact, he will require a verification. Prove that you are God's spokesman. And he says, now, so then you need to say to Aaron, Aaron, you cast that staff down on the ground, and it will become a snake. And, of course, as we read here in this passage, Pharaoh will then summon his men, uh, multiple men there, we're told, and they will throw down multiple staffs, and, and those multiple staffs will become multiple snakes. Like, oh, wow, this is bad. This is like a stalemate. Nah. This ain't no stalemate. 
This is a preview for Pharaoh. Now, he's too bullheaded to listen. He's too stubborn and hardened to really have enough sense to know what's going down. But this is a preview for Pharaoh. He has a moment here that he could escape and cry out for mercy. Because what happens is the one snake that came from the staff of Aaron swallows up the multiple snakes that come from the staffs of Pharaoh's men, his associates. Let me explain some of the factors, some of the dynamic of what's going on here. First, the snake was a huge symbolic uh, deal in Egypt. Uh, the, 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 the snake, uh, it probably, most likely, uh, you remember you saw the hat that Yul Brenner wore, but the snake was probably a cobra, and it was a symbol of Pharaoh's power and authority and alleged deity. Even earlier, when, when the Lord says to um, Moses, you will become like God to Pharaoh, and, and Aaron will become your prophet. What, what, really what we're being alerted to is that this little combat, this little contest, is not between Moses and Pharaoh. This contest that we're going to see go uh, in, a, in a very heightened way uh, in, the, in the series of the plagues, this contest is between God and Pharaoh. And I would suggest we could bump it out even further. It's not even really against God and Pharaoh. It's against God and, uh, and, and Pharaoh, since he's just a lackey after all. Uh, just, uh, he's, it's, it's really a contest between God and Satan. Because here we see that the, the snake that, that is, uh, uh, if you would, in God's corner of the combat, uh, is going to swallow up all of the snakes uh, that are sent forth by Pharaoh slash the devil slash the magicians. There's bigger issues going on here, and what we're, but what we're seeing is that, 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 um, that, that God is going to show his utter authority and supremacy over Pharaoh, i.e., over Pharaoh's boss, the devil. Remember in Genesis chapter 3, while it was the snake that shows up in the garden and tempts and deceives, it will be the snake in Genesis chapter 3 verse 15 whose head will be crushed as the promises of God's redemption come to fruition. This is related to that in that sense, is that we're seeing a preview of what God's plans are still online to go for, and that is that the serpent will be defeated, that, that God will be victorious, and that God will triumph. And, and, and Pharaoh is receiving a glimpse of warning right now because as the serpent swallows up the serpents here in Genesis, I mean Exodus chapter 7, what we'll see by the time we get to uh, Exodus 12, 13, 14, and then the song in Exodus 15, 
uh, that guess what? Guess who will be swallowed up down the road? Pharaoh himself. It's the same word that the snake swallows up the snakes here. It will be Pharaoh who will be swallowed up in the destruction of the sea covering over him. This is a warning of mercy to Pharaoh. That that he, the snake man, if you would, the one who's symbolized by the snake, who, 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 when you get to the book of Revelation, we learn that the snake is, a.k.a. the dragon, that the, and the dragon will be cast down because of the victory accomplished by our Lord Jesus Christ. What we are seeing here in Exodus chapter 7 is that the Lord will be the victor. He will be the, 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 the one who triumphs over Pharaoh, the one who triumphs over the devil, the one who triumphs over all the enemies of the Lord. And, and the New Testament teaches us, in fact, that Christ is victorious. He's the one who conquers sin and conquers death and conquers the law. He is the one who conquers and defeats and triumphs over even Satan. Amen. And so we are being given a preview, a preview of mercy, a preview of, of even Pharaoh's own destruction. That if he would listen to the kind words of the Lord in how he's going down, he'll be swallowed up by God. He could flee such destruction by turning to the Lord at that moment. But his heart is hardened. The Lord has, in fact, hardened his heart. For the Lord will have mercy upon whom he has mercy, and the Lord will harden whom he hardens. And yet, don't ever use that in such a way that circumvents the reality that on this day, if you're aware of the destruction that awaits your soul, if you're aware that that you need Jesus, who alone is the one who is the victor. If you turn to Jesus, who conquers sin and death and the law and the devil, if you turn to Jesus now, and you can do that by simply saying, Lord, have mercy upon me. The Lord will not turn away any who call upon him for mercy. Psalm 145 says, The Lord is near to all who call upon Him. Turn to the Lord. Turn to the one who has been our sacrifice, who is our substitute, and as the perfect sacrifice and substitute, the one who is now our victor. The one who gives us, in fact, triumph over all our enemies. Turn to Christ. Father, thank You for Your Word. Thank you for all that your word says to us and instructs to us. Father, as we gather here, we first marvel in the obedience of Jesus. We marvel in his work on the cross. And we marvel in his accomplished victory for us and on our behalf. So we gather with grateful hearts. We gather confident in Jesus. We gather renewed by the Spirit that we might strive to obey our God.
for we are not our own. We do not belong to ourselves. We have been bought with a price. Thank you, Lord, for such a purchase. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.